0: We are all on a journey. The trouble is sometimes we just don't actually know where we're going. We get turned around and off track like we're stumbling in the dark. What we all need is a light. We need a God to follow closely and to show us the way. Our light, our God, our teacher is Jesus. We need to follow him. Is Jesus walking around with us? How can he guide us? How can he show us the way? See, following Jesus doesn't have to be that complicated. Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Riley. Way to make an entrance over here in your section. One of our interns is knocking stuff down on the way in. For those of you in the venue, good morning. Thanks for being with us. We are four weeks away from moving into our new building. Three more Sundays after today we're so excited about. But the way we are going to celebrate that together as a church is at our building dedication service. So mark your calendars Wednesday, December 15th at 7 p.m., our church family is going to celebrate together. Pastor Daniel Floyd, who is a great friend of mine in ministry, he pastors LifePoint Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, will be here helping us dedicate that building. The worship, the message, the pre-party, the post-party is going to be the best thing we do all year long. So if you're a part of Journey, please come and celebrate with us that evening. If everyone who was in church last Sunday comes to the dedication service we will be in an overflow situation and a lot of you were not at church last Sunday but you do plan to be at that so doors will open at 6:30 get here soon and come help us celebrate the next season that God is starting in our church we're really really excited about that if you have your bibles Matthew chapter 9 is where we are hanging out today we're in week 7 of a series called Jesus people and here's what we're trying to do we're trying to come to the full realization of what it means to be followers of Jesus who live on mission for Jesus. That's our goal. We've been drawn to his teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We've come to believe fully in his power in Matthew chapter 8. We've watched him raise the dead. We've watched him heal the sick. We've watched him calm the wind and the waves. We believe he is who he says he is. And as we follow him, we're beginning to realize some things about Him. We're beginning to realize some stuff about ourselves. We're beginning to realize some things about life. And we're saying in this series in Matthew 9, 10, and 11, we're going to have nine realizations that all Jesus people eventually have about who Jesus is, about who they are, and about how the world works. We've been on realization number four all month long in November that it's going to take all of us to accomplish the mission of Jesus. We paused in Matthew 9 35 through 38 because Jesus said, Everyone is going to have to get in to, for me to accomplish what God has called me to do. So we've called this four weeks all in at Journey. Like we want all of us to be all in. So someone say all of us. All Somebody say all in. All That's all we're looking for. We're looking for all of us to get all in. Because when all of God's people are all in, God does some incredible things. Like yesterday, 500 families who received a Thanksgiving dinner. Nearly 1,200 kids under the age of 18 who are gonna eat Thanksgiving dinner. Nearly, nearly, I think 1,200 adults. Uh, Almost 2,500 people in total who received 6,000 pounds of food. Like that's what it looks like when God's church is all in in a community. People are helped. Two weeks ago, a missions team of 17 in Guatemala, finishing our total village transformation, nearly a quarter million dollars invested into a village in the mountains of Guatemala over the last four years uh, by our church. We did the last step of that last week where we delivered a water filtration system to every home in Cedras. Four years ago when we started, they really didn't have a school. They didn't have any evangelical Christian churches. There wasn't a pastor who lived in town and we've been able to help build schools. We've been able to help build churches. We've been able to help build homes for community leaders. We've been able to do medical clinics and dental clinics. And our last part was making sure every family in Cedras had clean water to drink. That's what happens when God's church gets all in. Last week, we kind of gave our awards to our children who were doing our Bible incentive program in our children's ministry. For those of you who grew up in a Bible quizzing type of WANA church, that's what we do on Sunday mornings when we teach kids to memorize scripture and learn the books of the Bible and learn some foundational stuff. 60 kids last week who received their Bible or their Bible award. A little five-year-old girl who stood on the stage, not even in kindergarten yet, and quoted from memory the 27 books of the New Testament. And then her six-year-old sister who got up and quoted all 66 books of the Bible from memory. When I asked the adults, who wants to do it too? No one raised their hand on that day. There was like nobody crying out in the desert to help do that. Like God's doing some incredible things. Three weeks ago, 10 kids baptized as we kind of anointed the atrium of our new building. We did baptisms at the cross with children and their parents, their grandparents, aunts and uncles, kids workers. Like when God's church altogether moves in a common direction, like great things happen. Just in this series, we've seen nearly 100 new people who are a part of Journey but who are not engaged in ministry sign up to be all in and say, put me to work in ministry. God is seeing more of us get all in. Somebody say fat sheep. sheep. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. We said churches need fat sheep who eat well of the word of God and drink well of the living water who can then minister to other lean, younger sheep. But Ezekiel 34 says, watch out, because fat sheep who only care about themselves are dangerous for a church because while they eat, they trample all the grass around them. And while they drink, they stand right in the middle of the stream and it muddies it for everyone else. So we said as a church, we're looking for fat sheep who have fed well on who Jesus is, but who realize that they eat so they can feed others, not just eat to be full. And we had dozens of people who said, I want to help disciple children and students and other adults at our church. And then, and then we learned last week, kind of how to get the town ready to hear about Jesus. We had a message we called tell the town. Someone said, say, tell the town. We said our part of Jesus harvest is to tell the town that he's here and to draw them to him. And today we're going to be preparing the way. Somebody say, prepare the way, prepare the way. This is the way. If you know, you know, if you've never watched Mandalorian or baby Yoda, you don't know, but like we're like, we're going to prepare the way for people in our community to get ready to meet Jesus. That is the goal of our time today. So before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to get our hearts ready. So here and in our venue, let's bow our heads together. Take a deep breath so you can kind of reset your soul into this moment and ask God to speak to your heart. God, that is our prayer today, that you would speak to our hearts. God, thank you for seeing people and loving people and drawing people and saving people. We are a part of that movement. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of all of that. Now, today, show us the ministry of preparing the way for others to be a part of that. That's our prayer. We ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Matthew 9, for the last time this month, the next time we open our Bibles to the book of Matthew will be in chapter 10. It says this, starting in verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So every Sunday this month, we've said when Jesus shows up in a town, he does four things. Hopefully you know these by now. When Jesus shows up in a town, he shows up what? Number one, He's teaching. Thank you, Michelle. You know, just say it right after her. And I'll well, think you know it too. He shows up teaching. What else does he show up doing? Preaching. He also shows up healing people and he, and he shows up helping people. So for those of you who need to write him down, Matthew said, anytime Jesus would show up someplace, he's teaching, preaching, healing, and helping. That's what Jesus does. We believe Jesus is doing that in our town through the churches of our community. But we also said we're living at this unique period where because we're building a building and people are aware of our church that we have a great opportunity to make them aware of Jesus. So we said like, Jesus is doing at our church what he did in Matthew chapter 9. We said Jesus is coming to our town. We said that the crowds are still drawn to Jesus. We said when it comes to fat sheep, the crowds need what? Shepherds. And we said the Savior needs workers. If we were to fill it in, you would see this. We've been teaching this backwards. So we started three weeks ago in Matthew nine thirty eight. the Savior needs workers. Two times in the book of Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples to pray for him once when he faced the burden of the cross in Gethsemane. Please, please pray for me. This moment is heavy. Once when he faced the burden of the church, please pray for workers. This burden is heavy. Two, the only two times in the book of Matthew Jesus said pray, when he looked at the cross and when he looked at the church, he said, We're going to have to pray for more workers. Yesterday during our Thanksgiving food distribution, I was in the back room with Leanne Clemens, who kind of runs that entire program for our church and i was back there with her at 9:38 a.m. and i know that because her alarm went off and she held up her phone as the alarm was going off and she said pastor christian look at this and i said okay like okay what is that and she said i set my alarm for 9:38 every day and i said why is that and she said to pray for workers Because Jesus said in Matthew 9.38 that every Christian should pray for workers. So me and a team of women who, like I do life with, have all set our alarms for 9.38 every day. And every day our alarm goes off at 9.38, and we pray for Jesus to have workers. Because in Matthew 9.38, he said all Christians should pray for workers. And I thought, that's someone who gets it. Like, that's someone who understood fully that the Savior needs workers and is like all in and praying for the workers, just like Jesus asked. We talked about the crowds needing shepherds. We said Jesus' heart was so moved by people that he did something to help them. And we said that Jesus' people have hearts that don't just feel what people need, but we feel it so deeply that we do something about it. The crowds need shepherds who care. We said last week that the crowds are still drawn to Jesus because they need him. We saw that there was a harvest and we saw what our part in the harvest is. And this week we just learned that we are supposed to prepare the way because Jesus is coming to town. Now, as we get ready to enter Thanksgiving week, one of the things you should probably understand about me is I love Christmas. Like I may love Christmas as much as anyone you've ever met. Like if you could combine Clark Griswold and Buddy the Elf, that's how much I love Christmas. I love Christmas. Um, Thursday at some point, I'll set my radio station to Christmas music and I won't turn it off until they stop playing Christmas music. Is there anybody else in the house like that? Like I love Chris, I love Christmas lights. I love Christmas decorations. I walked into Lowe's in the middle of October and they already had some Christmas stuff up and it was like the heavens open. Oh, like I heard angels singing. I was like, it's almost here. And it wasn't, but it felt like it. Like I love Christmas cookies. I love Christmas carols. I, I love everything about Christmas. And one of the things I love about Christmas is there, like, there's no hiding it, right? Like better watch out, better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. And like, if you live in a neighborhood like mine, you know that like the houses are lit up, like there's inflatables in the yard. Like people have paid thousands of dollars to say Santa is on the way and Santa is coming every store, every restaurant in town. Like you cannot miss that. Santa is coming to town. It's a big deal, but you know who else is coming to town? Jesus is coming to town. And we got to figure out why it's more of a big deal for some Jesus people that Santa's coming to town than Jesus is coming to town. Because we'll, like, we'll light up our house and spend thousands of dollars to put stuff on our front yard that tells people, I know Santa's coming to town, but we don't say anything when Jesus is coming to town. This message is all about the reality that Jesus is coming to town. And we just want to help people get ready for that. We're going to spend this entire message in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus goes places where people don't know him yet. John 3.16 says this, that God so loved the world that like he came to it. God loved humanity on planet earth so much that he became a human on planet earth. That's how much God loves us, that he comes to us. So he went to where the people were. We'll start on December 5, a sermon series at Journey just called Christmas at Journey. That'll be studies in John chapter 1. And on December 5, December 12, and December 19, we'll go about 15 verses deep into John chapter 1, where we're told that God came down. He was the Logos, He was the Word that became flesh. He is the light of the world that pierces the darkness. He is the tabernacle, the true tabernacle that allows us to be around God. So all of December we'll be talking about Christmas, but the story of Christmas is this God came down, God came down, God came down. Why did God came down? Why did God come down, and what can we do to help people get ready for that fact? That is like the point of today's message. Why did He come? Why does He want us to help get people ready? Number one, the reason Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? I preached my first message twenty three years ago this week. I was a college student at Liberty University, um, and Danielle's dad. I was back visiting Danielle's family for the first time. Her dad had planted a church in Overland Park that was like two or three years old and they let me like do the student ministry Sunday school that day. Um, Ryan Holt was there sitting in the seat with his fiance. Pastor Ryan and I have done ministry together almost every week for the last 23 years. That's how far back. Uh, we go. I don't remember what I preached on. I promise it was bad. Um, I remember the only feedback I got at the end of it was you should, next time you should look up as if there's people in the room. Cause I think I like just read my entire thing and I probably plagiarized something. My professor had given us in class that week and said like, here's what the Bible says about something. I'm clueless, but someone told me this is important. Like 23 years ago this week, Thanksgiving week, my first sermon in Kansas city. Can't remember what I preached on five years ago, this fall, my first sermon on this stage. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Because when we opened this building, I told our church, um, I, I wish it wasn't me preaching. I wish Jesus was preaching. And I think if Jesus only preached one sermon at Journey, he, he would preach out of Luke chapter 4. Jesus only that we're aware of preached one sermon in his home church, his home synagogue in Nazareth. And we're told the only thing he preached was basically, here's who I am and here's why I'm here. And I think if Jesus only could preach one message in every church in America that he would preach from Luke chapter four, because it said he showed up in his home synagogue and here was his message text. He asked his people to turn to Isaiah 61 and then he read it. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My first Sunday preaching on this stage, that is what I preached. Here's what Jesus said he came to do. This is what our church has come to do. Jesus basically said it this way. He took the prophecy of Isaiah and he said, I'm here because I care. I'm here because I care. But he said, that guy that Isaiah was talking about who would change the world, that's me. He literally said in Luke 4.21, today the scripture's been fulfilled. God promised that someone would come who would change everything. Guess what? It's me. And I'm here because I care. That was Jesus' first and probably only message in the synagogue at Nazareth. And he read from the prophet of Isaiah, who was one of the legendary prophets in Israel. Because Isaiah, if you remember, somebody say, Who cares? Two weeks ago, we asked this question. Who cares? We said that a prophet named Isaiah, 2,700 years ago, was asked that question the year that the longest serving king in the history of Israel, a man named Uzziah, died. God looked across at Israel and he said, Who's going to care now? Who's going to care? Who's going to care now to connect the people to me? In Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, I heard God saying, who, Who cares? Who cares and who will help me? And Isaiah said, I will. I'll go anywhere you want, I'll do anything you want. I care. And Isaiah became the prophet that New Testament people look to because he was the one that told us Jesus was coming. And God said, who cares enough to tell the world Jesus is coming? Isaiah said, I'll do it. When I go to Israel and I go to the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum, one of my favorite things to do is to read the ancient scroll of Isaiah that they have locked behind like bulletproof glass, like the Declaration of Independence if you go to the National Archives. And to see this book of Isaiah... Written in Hebrew, two hundred years before Jesus was born, saying all these things about who Jesus would be. It's one of one of my favorite things in Israel to do to remind myself that Isaiah told us he was coming before he came. So Jesus opens a scroll and says, "I'm him, and I'm here because I care." And we're going to spend the rest of this message actually in Isaiah sixty-one and sixty-two. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. If you don't, don't worry; everything will be on the screen. It'll be very easy to follow along. But I, I want to encourage you, bring your Bible every week to Journey. We'll always open it. We'll always read from it. I will always try to teach you something from it. I'll, I'll try to give you something useful in it. But Jesus, when he showed up to Nazareth that first Sunday, that first Saturday he would preach, basically asked the people to open their Bibles to Isaiah 61. And he said, here's what I'm doing. Here's, here's why I'm here. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, I want you to underline a line that Isaiah said the Messiah would say, and it is a line that Jesus said, the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah said, when Messiah comes, you'll know who he is because he will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in Luke chapter four, Jesus said, I'm here because of the year of the Lord's favor. So Isaiah said, the Messiah will say it. Jesus said it for us. What does it mean? Because I think it's one of the most important things Christians can learn. When Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he was saying, I'm here to launch the Jubilee. The Jubilee year in old Testament Israel was a year known as the year of the Lord's favor. It was the 50th year and it was to be celebrated at the, end of, at the end of every seventh season of seven years. So every seven years, the people of Israel would have a sabbatical where they would trust God for everything and just lean into God and family. And God said, when you go through seven of those cycles, after 49 years, the 50th year is going to be, it was known as the year of the Lord's favor, is going to be a year totally devoted to me. When we understand who Jesus was, when Jesus said, I have come to give you jubilee, it may change the way you see Jesus, but we have to understand Jubilee to understand Jesus. So what happened in the Jubilee year? The first thing that always happened was the covering of sin. The Jubilee year would start on the day of atonement. On our calendars, it would be Yom Kippur. Our Jewish friends celebrated as the day where God covers all sin. So the year of Jubilee would begin with everything you've done to offend God has been covered over and you can now have a right relationship with God. It would then remove all debt. Any money that you owed to anyone or any money your family owed to anyone, all the accounts would start over at zero. No one could be in debt in the year of Jubilee. All debts were erased. You got number three, freedom from bondage. If you or a family member had been sold into servitude to work off a debt that you had, you got to be freed from that bondage and you got to go home. Your family land was restored to you and your family, anything your great, 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 great grandpa built or farmed or had like all your farms, all your land, all your houses, everything that your family had had was returned to the family that it belonged to. Basically, it was a restoration of life from people living in a broken state in a broken world to people living in a restored world of life. Everything was restored to its original owner and the people were invited into a rest into the simple life. You say, what do you mean a rest into the simple life? Let's think about it this way. Every seventh year in Israel was a sabbatical year. They didn't sow, they didn't reap. Every seventh year, God asked them to basically take the year off from working so they could trust him. And God said, every seventh year, here's what I want you focused on. I want you focused on God. I want you focused on family. I want you to get up morning sacrifice and spend time with God. I want you to, before you go to bed, evening sacrifice, spend time with God. And I want you to just take life one day at a time, spending time with me and your family. Let's do that every seven years. Let's do that. The Jubilee year would be the only time they would do that two years in a row instead of one. Because they would have already done that the 49th year. And God said, I want you to do it again on the 50th. 12 more months, no work, no sowing, no reaping. I want your whole life to revolve around God and family. I want you to rest. I want you to trust. And I just want you every day to get up and think if God doesn't provide, nobody will. Spend time with me, spend time with family, reset your life. Now for the people of Israel, rarely would anyone have more than one of these while they were an adult. So basically every adult in Israel got one shot, no matter what they had come from or how badly they had messed up. Everyone in Israel usually got one shot as an adult to reset life and to say, no matter how bad I was broken or I broke things, no matter how bad things have been, no matter how far I am from friends and family, no matter how far I am from God, every adult in Israel would get one shot as an adult to reset life around God and family and spiritual trust and spiritual rest. And no matter where your family may have been before these two years, when adults decide to reset their life around God Family and rest and trust, it has implications for generations. And I don't know about you, but I feel like it might be time for a Jubilee reset with people of God in America. Like, I think we've come through seasons that have left so many people broke and broken and distracted and kind of doing everything but God and family. That, like, the people of God in our city, in our country, literally need to have a hard reset where we say, you know what? I'm just going to spend two years. I'm going to spend a season focusing on God first, family second, spiritual health third, and then anything else that comes after that. I'm just going to take it one day at a time. But God, family, and my spiritual walk with God are going to be the things that are most important to me. Imagine moms and dads if you would do that, what that would mean for your kids after two years. Regardless of where they are right now, what would a hard spiritual reset look like for you? That was Jubilee. Jubilee was the thing you waited for your whole life because no matter how deep you were in the hole on jubilee You got to start over and I wonder how many of you need to start over See, here's the good news. You say I do you don't have to wait 50 years Because jesus said I am the jubilee I've come to do this Jesus does all these things for us. He covers our sin You're not right with god. You're at odds with god. I can help you with that He removes our debt, the brokenness in our life that has created chains of bondage. He frees us from bondages and addictions and hurts in our past. He restores us to family or he gives us new spiritual family. He gives back what is rightfully ours, our spiritual inheritance. He restores life that is really life, not life that wears us out, but life that fills us up. He restores everything to its original owner, meaning we now all of a sudden see ourselves as created by God and as a possession of God and a steward of God. He is God. He is the creator. We are the created and we rest into the simple life of trusting Jesus for our past and our present and our future and our eternity. Amen. Like, listen, if this is what Jesus is offering and he is, why would anybody say no? Who offers more? What world religion or religious leader offers more than these things? And Jesus shows up in his first sermon and says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. God sent me to cover sin, remove debt, free you from bondage, restore you to family or give you spiritual family, give you back your life, help you see the world the way it was created to be and invite you into the life that God created you to have. Journey, I don't know about you, but I think it's time for some of us to experience Jubilee Jesus, to really let him be our rest by giving him our past, our present and our future and having a hard reset I really believe if we would have a generation of people who would reset for two years that the world could look different, but it's going to take some people of faith who are willing to do that. This is the reason Jesus came. And it is the reason we prepare to help people know who he is. Because of who he is and what he did and what he wants to do, we now believe it's our job to help the world meet him. Every time in scripture that God promised the Messiah would come and do these things, he said, I'll make sure you don't miss him. I'll make sure I get you ready for when he comes so that when he comes, you're not totally unaware. Isaiah, the prophet again would tell us in chapter 40, a voice of one will call in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of our God. This was actually a governmental role in the time of Isaiah and in the Jesus, and in in the time of Jesus. This was a construction crew. When you hear the phrase, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, literally it was a crew of people hired by the government that anytime the king left his city or anytime the king went into a village that he was over, the few miles heading out of the city and into the city, they would always clean the roads up. That's what it means to make straight paths. They would fill in all the potholes because there weren't paved roads. They would fill in all the potholes. They would remove all the rocks. And because animals tread the roads, they would make sure and take all the manure from any animal away from the road up to the point of laying their coats on the road if they had to to make it look clean This was a job when a king was coming into town, they wanted to roll out the red carpet for him. They didn't want the chariot bumping in holes or on rocks, and they wanted him to know, we've been expecting you. So we have made your way straight. We've straightened out the curve pass. We filled in the potholes. We took away the dirt and all the manure like we are rolling out the red carpet. God said, when I send the Messiah, I'll make sure someone rolls out the red carpet so you don't miss it. And in the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end of Jesus' ministry and in the middle of Jesus' ministry, Every time Jesus was coming, it was marked by a preparation of Jesus' people getting people ready to receive him. The most famous, of course, his cousin John the Baptist. Mark actually said, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I'm going to send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Here's what Mark said. Here's the beginning of my story with Jesus. Jesus. God had somebody get me ready. Here's the beginning of the story of Jesus. God has somebody get people ready for Jesus. What if the beginning of your family member or friend or husband or wife or child or neighbor, what if the beginning of somebody in your life who's important to you, what if the beginning of their story with Jesus is that you're getting them ready? Mark said, here's the beginning of Jesus story. Somebody got people ready to meet him. That's the beginning. Then Jesus comes. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. How about the end of his ministry? The last week of his life, we see the exact same thing. But you have to understand what they were doing to see it. As Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday to inaugurate the last week of his life, people were spreading out their cloaks on the road. People were spreading branches they'd cut in the fields. Why? Because they believed this was their king. And they were like, we've got to clean the place up. We've got to clean the place up. And if we can't clean it up real quick, we'll lay our coats down. We've got to roll out the red carpet so that everyone knows somebody really, really important is coming into town. Jesus actually, as he was transitioning his disciples from sheep to shepherds, said, one of your primary roles is to get people ready for me. In Luke 10, after this, the Lord appeared to 72 others, appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, a few asked the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send his workers into the harvest field. So we know a little bit about this verse. Jesus said, before I go, you go, get them ready. And then I'll go. Folks, Jesus wants to do something in Kansas City. I promise you that. But he will not do it until the people of Kansas City get the work ready. It's just the way he works. I'm gonna send my people where I'm going to get the place ready for me. Because what we see in Scripture when we look at the work of Jesus is when the workers get the place ready, Jesus shows up to harvest. That's what we learn in Matthew 9. It's what we learn in Luke 10. It's what we learn all through Scripture. This in Scripture is the promise over and over and over again. The Messiah is coming. I'll make sure you're ready. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament closes with these two verses. He's coming. I'll make sure you're ready. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. Malachi ends the Old Testament by saying the Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring judgment, but God will make sure you're ready. God will make sure you're ready. And Journey, listen. Those of you in the room, those of you in the venue, if you're willing to receive it, listen. We are Elijah for our city. We're supposed to get people's hearts ready. We are John the Baptist for our city. We're supposed to get people's hearts ready. We are the Palm Sunday crowd. We know he's coming. We're supposed to get people's hearts ready. We are the 72 disciples who go ahead of Jesus because we desperately want him to come behind us. Like We are the workers who prepare the way for the Messiah, that is just the way it has always worked. And you say, is it willing, is it worth doing that? Yes. Because of what Jesus says he will do, it is worth the people of God getting people ready. In Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah says, this is the Messiah and this is what he'll do. In Isaiah chapter 62, he says, this is what the people of Messiah do once he's shown up. If you had your Bibles, I want to read it to you because I think it's three massively powerful verses that tell us something about following Jesus that perhaps some of you don't know yet, but you should, because I think it changes the game spiritually. In Isaiah 61, this is Messiah. Here's what he will do. In Isaiah 62, here's what the people of Messiah will do. We start in verse 10, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations, The Lord has made a proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior come. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, a city no longer deserted. See, here's what Isaiah 62 teaches us that I believe is a game changer. Number one, when Messiah comes, the people of God are called to go out and invite people in. Verse 10 says, pass through, pass through the gates, but these are not people being invited into the city. These are people who live in the city, being invited out of the city to get the city ready for people who are not there yet. People of Messiah realize we live inside the city. We live inside the kingdom. We have a king and a protection. We we have Jesus in our life, but we leave the city of God to invite other people in. Jesus people go out of the city so they can invite other people in, but they don't just do that. They live in a way, number two, to make it a smooth ride in for people. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones. The prophet Isaiah is saying to the people of God, listen. When Messiah comes, you you can't just keep him to yourself. you got to go out and tell everyone that he's here. But then you got to make the way smooth for people. Build up the highway. If there's any low places, fill in the potholes. Clean up the highway. If there's any rocks, clean them off. Make it a smooth ride in so that people aren't getting jostled in their soul. Do everything you can to make it a smooth ride for people to understand who Messiah is. When scholars speak about this in Christianity... They say this road, this smooth road that the people in Zion are to prepare is a spiritual way of life that smooths the relationship between God and man. This suggests that the believers have a significant role to play in reaching the nations. They have a responsibility to live in a way that makes it possible for the nations to see the light of God reflected in their walk, a responsibility that every believer must accept so that they can be an effective witness to the work of God in their lives. So Isaiah says, live in such a way that you really help people easily connect to God. So listen, the hypocrisy has got to go. The duplicity has got to go. Being one thing spiritually on Sunday morning, but then something else Monday through Saturday, that's giving people a bumpy ride. It's making it hard to connect to Jesus when you don't live your life in a way that really kind of gives a clear message. So let's clean up our lives so that we can make it smooth for people to understand who Jesus is and to follow Jesus into the gate. When they arrive, I love what Isaiah says. He says, man, welcome them home. He says at the end of verse 10, build up build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. I want you to see a picture of this. If we could speak in Israeli terms, basically he's telling the people of Israel, I want you to go outside Jerusalem, go outside the city walls to get ready for people who are coming to Jerusalem. And when you get outside Jerusalem, I want you to raise up a banner, but not a banner that says this is Jerusalem. Raise a banner that says the name of their nation so that they see this is home. I want you to welcome people home spiritually because everyone has been created to live at home with God spiritually. So you have to announce to a people who don't know God yet, welcome home. This is who you've been created to be and you are safe here. This is a place that you can be. This is a place you'll be loved. This is a place you'll be cared for. This is a place that you can thrive. We've been all month long as a church, looking at this little card together in our bulletin, or texting this all-in number to journey all-in to forty-seven, 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 and we've been asking people to be all-in with us. If you go to our church, like you got to be engaged in serving; it'll make us better. But one of the new ministries that we're creating as we get ready to move into our new building is a ministry just called the Home Team. And you say, what is the purpose of the Home Team? It's to make church feel like home. It's to make church feel like family. So one of one arm of that ministry is just created to love our volunteers. So when our volunteers walk in, they feel like they're at home and they've got everything they need. And one arm of that ministry is created for guests who are not yet a part of our church. That When they walk in, they see basically a banner with their name on it that says like, welcome home. This place is for you. My hope is that if you have the desire in your heart to go to a church that feels like home, when people walk in it, then maybe you'd be willing to serve in one of these areas. So what are those two areas, guest services and connections is the one who makes unchurched people feel at home. Volunteer care and events are those that make our volunteers feel at home. But we're asking all of our church to get all in and helping us to welcome home people. We've seen incredible ministry done on this little card this month. Nearly 100 new people who have signed up to serve. Last week, we had 13 new volunteers start in our student ministry on Wednesday night. And one of our student ministry directors sent me a text. Said, Christian, just in case you wonder, like if, any, like if it's working, we have 13 new people signed up tonight, and I want to tell you who they are so you can understand God is sending us people who love him and who love teenagers. She said one is a retired principal, four are licensed counselors, one is a U.S. marshal. We could probably use a few more of those on uh, Wednesday night, <laughs> maybe like three, three or four of those. Um, two previous pastors, one who works in the juvenile detention center with kids who have committed a crime. She said, I just want you to know God is sending us people who love him and who love kids to put them together. Like, like, come on. Like, yes, we should put our hands there. That is, that is God saying, listen, that's God saying, I want people to feel at home. So I'm going to put people together who can make that happen. If you're not engaged yet, we want you to get engaged in welcoming people home. What else? Number four, I think my favorite, tell them about the reward and the recompense of Jesus. Tell them about the reward and the recompense of Jesus. Now, all of us know what reward is. You say, what is recompense? Recompense is to make amends or to compensate somebody for loss or for harm suffered. So you say, Jesus brings me a reward, but he also brings me a recompense. Is he recompensating me to make amends or to compensate me for loss or harm that I suffered because of him? No, no. And when you understand this fully, you think, This is a wonderful Savior. See, the reward of Jesus is that Jesus does not give us what we deserve for our wrongs committed against him. And at the exact same time, he recompensates us for the wrongs that have been committed against us by others. So look at our Savior. Our Savior says, when I connect to you in your life, I want you to understand, I'm not going to repay you for all the wrongs that you've done to me. I'm going to forgive you. But because I've seen how broken, hurting life culture and people have hurt you, I'm gonna recompensate you for wrongs done to you. I'm not gonna make you pay for your wrongs done to me. I am gonna pay you for the wrongs done to you by others because that's how much I love you. Pastor Tim Keller says we can count on God to right every wrong in our life when we stand before him one day. He writes ours on the cross, but then he recompensates us for those who have hurt us. Some of you are in here and you've been hurt deeply by people and there will be no amends or recompensation on this side of eternity. But you need to know as a follower of Jesus, he comes with his reward and his recompensation. And whatever chunk has been taken out of your soul by someone who has wronged you, Jesus will put back. That boss, that spouse, that friend, that relationship, that organization, that employer, Jesus comes with his reward. His reward is, I'm not going to make you pay back anything wrong you've done to me. His recompensation is, and at the same time, I'm going to make sure you get paid back for every wrong someone else has done to you. Come on, somebody. Like, what kind of Savior is that? And how could we not want to follow him? Like, who promises to do that for us? But Jesus So we follow Jesus and who he is. And then I love number five. What is Jesus and who did he tell? Tell people who they can become in Jesus. Verse 12, let them know they'll be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. They'll be called sought after. They'll be called a city no longer deserted. Go out and tell people you are sought after. Go out and tell people you don't have to be alone. Tell them Jesus is here and he's been pursuing them their entire life. And he wants to stay with them their entire life. Now, the cool thing about what Messiah asks us to do is he did it first. Just like Jubilee Jesus, you're looking at a screen of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. He left the realm of heaven. He came out of his heavenly city, according to Philippians 2, so he could come to where we were, so he could invite us back in. He made it a smooth ride in by choosing to die for our sins on the cross so we would not have to be punished for our own sin. He let us know that we would be welcome to his eternal home in John 14 when he said, I'm preparing a place for you and I promise you, I'll come back and and get you. He told us about the reward of faith and about the recompensation, about the brokenness that he would heal in our life. And he told us that he loved us and he'd been pursuing us our whole life and that he'd never leave us and never forsake us. Again, come on somebody. If this is what Jesus offers, who gives us a better deal? Who promises more than Jubilee Jesus? Who does more than the Messiah of Isaiah 62? Nobody more than Jesus. And he's asking us not only to lean in to receive who he is, but to prepare others to receive him as well. I think my favorite moment of church last Sunday was about 1 p.m. I was driving home and I got a text from Sherry Hinnick, who oversees our impact center and our community outreach ministry. And she said, hey, y'all just wanted you to know, she sent a few of us in the adult ministries kind of a text message. She said, we had 13 first time guest families today that handed in a card and said, hey, we're new, tell us more about your church. She said, two of those drove nearly 30 minutes from inner city, Kansas City. And she said, here's how I know their story. Several weeks ago, they came to the impact center because they didn't have any food and they needed clothes. And we were able to clothe and outfit their entire families. We were able to give them the food that they needed and we were able to invite them to church. And she said, they came Sunday and both of them rededicated their lives to follow Jesus. Now you say, Christian, how did that happen? Jesus' people did this. We met them in their brokenness. We invited them into our spiritual home. We love them as well as we could like Jesus would love them. And we let them know that he loved them. He's been seeking after him and they don't have to be alone. We just did this. And I believe if as a congregation, we did it again and again and again and again, that our city would look more like the kingdom of God than the kingdom of Kansas City. And Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So he basically said, make your place look more like my place. Jesus' people have to be willing to prepare people for that to happen. And it's important. I don't normally like to give super long quotes because they're hard to track. People phase out. It takes a lot of screens to write them on. But Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher of the early 1900s, preached on Isaiah 62.10 and Isaiah 62.12. And he reminded people how important it was to prepare for those who don't know Jesus, who are coming to him. And I want to read you this entire quote. It's going to take a minute, so just lock in with me. He said, all Christians need to clear the road to make room for coming sinners. We must take away all the stumbling blocks. We must make the gospel plain and simple and come to the help of those who could find hindrances and impediments in their progress to the Savior. Such stones are there and Satan tries to increase their number. The Lord's servants must gather them and take them out of the way. This is one of our primary objectives We must try with great simplicity of thought and speech to deal with those things that prevent sinners from getting to Christ. For perhaps while we are trying to do this, the eternal spirit may bring them to Jesus so they might find salvation on the spot. To that end, let all who are already saved cry mightily to the Lord for his saving health and consoling grace. Listen closely now. When poor souls are coming to Jesus, they are generally their own worst enemies. They have a singular ingenuity in finding out reasons they should not be saved. A strange infatuation seems to possess them so that they ransack heaven and earth and hell to find discouragements. They become inventive of difficulties where difficulties do not even exist. It's therefore a holy and necessary work to endeavor to remove some of the stumbling blocks out of the poor sinner's way. When we attempt this good work, we'll point to the the coming sinner to him who in his own person has effectively removed every real stumbling block. So now nothing can keep a sinner from God if that sinner's but ready to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said. Those who Jesus is drawing are trying to talk themselves out of it. They know what they need spiritually. They don't think they deserve it. And even when you try to help them by removing obstacles, they create new in their head. Like this spiritual battle is raging within them. And the hardest thing to do is just to get them to see Jesus. But if we will work in that area of life, removing obstacles, making the way smooth, if we will just try to get them to Jesus, Jesus will do the work. But we have to know a battle's going on and we've got to know our part in it. As I talked to you about living a life that makes it smooth for people to get to Jesus. I think we're living in a season where there are two events where we've got a really smooth on ramp to invite people to come and hear who Jesus is. One of them is our Christmas services that are coming up Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, December 22, 23, and 24. I, like many of you yesterday, got to deliver turkeys and boxes to cars. I got to talk with people who were making crafts and kids and families who were eating popcorn. I did not have one person yesterday as I walked food to their car and prayed with them at their car. I did not have one person who said, what time is church tomorrow? Not one who said, what time is church tomorrow? And I didn't have one that didn't ask about Christmas. Every, and they didn't know I was a pastor. I was just a guy carrying boxes. Not one of them said, what time's church tomorrow? All of them said, when are your Christmas services? Because people go to church at Christmas. And I thought, man, what a great picture again, how easy it is to invite someone who doesn't know Jesus at Christmas. People come to church at Christmas. That's why as you leave today, we got these little packets of business cards here and in our venue, just five little cards that just say Christmas at Journey with our service times, a website on the back that if you're thinking about inviting someone to, might be real easy to say, hey, like um, if you don't have someplace to go on Christmas, we'd love you to come to our church. We've actually got yard signs as you leave. If you want to plant a sign in your yard, if you get everything else on your house that says Christmas is coming, but nothing that talks about Jesus, you can plant a yard sign. All it does is say Christmas a journey on our website. So if people are thinking, gosh, I'd like to go to church somewhere, they can have an option. Maybe with someone they trust because they drive by your house all the time. Let's take this opportunity for a smooth invitation. And then of course, our grand opening, Sunday, January 9, 845 and 1030. It's pretty easy. It goes like this. Hey, that new church i have been building on 150 Highway, that's my church. We're opening January 9th. It's beautiful. You should come and see it, period. That'll work for most. It's a smooth opportunity to begin to introduce someone to Jesus. You say, is it really necessary? Yes because 71% of our city's stressed, 62% are anxious, 53% are burned out, 47% are lonely, 46% are depressed according to the latest Barner research in Kansas City. But six out of 10 believe the church can help them. So yes, yes, it's really worth it. Yes, it's really necessary. And if Jesus people understand who Jubilee Jesus is and invite him to be a part of other people's lives, if Jesus people understand who the Messiah is and invite people to be a part of his world, I believe our city can look a little more like his world than our world. And I don't know about you, but I'm about ready for that reset. Amen? Like, I'm ready for that reset. Better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Who's coming to town? Jesus Christ is coming to town. I hope I ruined that song for you this holiday season. I hope every time it's on the radio, better watch out, better not go. Jesus Christ is coming. Like, I hope you think, ah, hey, hate Pastor Christian. Like, I hope you remember Jesus Christ is coming to town. And every time he's ever come anywhere, he has people get, get the place ready. So let's be people to get the place ready. Amen. Let's pray together as we close. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here and in our venue, but our hearts are open. Jesus, thank you for coming to our town. Thank you for coming to our lives. Thank you for rewarding us with a season of jubilee. And by righting all of the wrongs that have been done against us, you are an incredible savior. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he wants to be that savior for you. He loves you. He lived for you and died on the cross so your sin could be forgiven, so you could be right with God. If you're here today and you don't need Jesus, I wanna give you a smooth ride to receive him in your life and to let him be your leader. All you have to do is open up your heart to heaven and pray and say, Jesus, I need you. If you've never done that, you can do it right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, you could pray something like this Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me in my future. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership and I ask for your salvation. I commit follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me today, in just a second, I'm going to let you know how you can tell us so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources. But Father, as we close this service, thank you for coming to our town and into our lives. Thank you for the Jubilee that you offer us and for the Messiah that you've promised to us. Help us to be workers that smooth the path of people who are trying to get to you by being diligent and and intentional about getting our city ready for our Savior. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.